Amen. Well, listen, we're so glad you're here tonight. Thank you for coming. And we want to we continue somewhat the theme that we had this morning about surrendering our eyes. You know, this morning we talked about the, the concept, the idea of, of, of our perspective being different. That, you know, every once in a while, John Kent just says something really good. I mean, just, you know, he always, he's telling me something about the message, you know, usually going out the door. And this morning, John said, you know, Dwayne, he said, um, the crowds were normal. The disciples just needed some me time. And that was very wise. And, and I want to, and, and it's right on target. And he, I'm going to put a, a little bit different spin on it. Yes, the crowds were normal. What was abnormal, though, was their attitude toward the crowds. See, that, they, were wanting, they were wanting time with Jesus with themselves. Me, me and Jesus time. And, and the crowds, well, this morning, do you notice the scripture I used for the babies this morning? The, the guys were mad because the baby wanted, the parents wanted to bring the babies to Jesus. They were upset, and Jesus rebuked them. And again, we see the story of the feeding of the 5,000. The guys were saying, let's just get rid of this group. They saw people not as opportunity, but they saw people as a problem. And when we, and we start looking at our circumstances through normal eyes, we just love normalcy. We love predictability. I really think that's something we need to be careful of. And guess what, by the way? Guess what the center of normalcy, predictable, you know, being predictable, um, also comfort zone, it's me. I like what I like, and, and we don't want to change that because it's all about me, just like John was saying this morning. Very, very insightful. Very, very good. So we want to continue tonight the idea of surrendered eyes and seeing things like God sees them. And this is really, really a cool scripture. It's 2 Kings chapter 6. If you want to go ahead and take your Bibles and turn there. And uh, we're going to read just several scriptures, like about five or six scriptures. And then we're going to slow down and start talking to and preaching through and teaching through these scriptures. Because I think there are two lessons here, both of them dealing with, uh, with people, with God, with our vision, and seeing as God wants us to see. So 2 Kings chapter 6, verse number 8 through 10. And here's how it all begins. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. Now, what was happening was, is that, and by the way, you know, the enemies of God will always try to make war on God. Okay, that is why, that is, and I, you know, I think you're going to see that at the end. That is why it's important that we see people as God sees people, because when people declare war on us because we're Christians, if we're not careful, we'll get angry. We'll get mad. We'll get mad. And you'll never win a person by being angry and mad at them. But you will win them by showing the love of Christ. So the king of Assyria basically is having, having raiding parties. They will, they will go across the border uh, into Israel, and they would go in. They, would, they were stealing the crops. They were wrecking the crops. They were stealing animals. Basically, it was raiding parties, just like kind of David did when he was down at Ziglag. Ziglag. So, so the king of Assyria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants and said this. My camp will be in such and such place. So the king would say to his consultants and say, by the way, we're going to camp at this place uh, later on. Well, the man of God, and who's that? Elijah. The man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. Now, how did he know that? Was there, are you sure there wasn't maybe some kind of a network of spies that he was aware of? Did you even hear what she said? God revealed it to him. God showed him. This is nothing short of supernatural intervention. 
And I'm going to tell you something. And you're going to hear this in just a moment. God is still intervening in people's lives. I think if I could leave you with something tonight to take home and store away is God is still intervening in your life. He is still working in your life. And sometimes we see it and sometimes we don't. But God is working in our lives. He's working in the lives of Elijah to provide information so the Syrians can be stopped. So the king of Israel sent someone to the place, verse 10, of which the man of God had told him. In other words, he's verifying the information. And thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So this went on, Ron, this went on and on and on. The king of Syria would say, I'm going to do this. And then Elijah would say to the king of Israel, don't do this because he's going to be there. And it happened over and over again. So what do you think the king of Syria is going to do? He's going to, no, he's going to get mad, yes, and he's going to find he's got a traitor on his hands. Look what it says in verse 11. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. So he called his servants and said to them, I love the verbiage in the, king, the New King James, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He says, Apparently, someone on this team is against us and is for the king of Israel. And so, and we're not sure, we don't know how the officers knew this, but they knew. And one of the servants said in verse 12, None, my lord, O king, but Elijah. The prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak even in your bedroom. In other words, nothing anyone should know, he knows. And he's the man of God, and God is revealing it and intervening in history as we see it. Verse 13. So he said, well, I'll tell you what. Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he's in Dothan. I'm not sure what he was doing in Alabama, but he was. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. I said, I'm going to use that. I bet someone's going to go, no, no, no. I bet David's going, look, look. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> All right, verse 14. Here's, here's where it gets wonderfully interesting. So therefore, he sent horses, he being the king of Syria, he sends horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now what... What the world certainly doesn't understand, and, and what we don't often understand, is that when you declare war on God's people, you declare war on God. Amen. So the king, the king of Syria does not understand that when he chooses to attack in this large way, not just against Israel, but against the man of God. When you pick on God's man, God's person, you're picking on God himself. You know, we see this in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 5. And, and he journeyed to, to near Damascus. This is Paul. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting, persecuting who? Me. Capital M. Jesus. And, and he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard, you, hard for you to kick against the goats. So when you pick on God's people, you pick on Christ. Paul was, Saul was not personally persecuting Christ, but he was persecuting the church of God. And God takes that personally. And God takes this situation personally. So, so there was a great army there, not a small army, a great army there. And they came by night and they surrounded the city. Verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. Now this is so interesting to me. He went to bed. Now listen, this is applicable to us. He went to bed that night, Dave, and things were fine. 
I mean, he was a servant to the man of God. Things were fine. Life was good. He woke up the next morning, and life was not good. Isn't it amazing how fast things change? You want to know why? Listen, you want to know why you need faith in God? He's your constant. I don't know about you. I, you can ask Judy. I, I've been confessing things left and right. You guys are telling you things about me. That for 14 you still may not know. But my moods can change dramatically. Um, two Saturdays in a row, and I can't explain this to you, but, two, but it's funny that it did precede Sunday. But two Saturdays in a row, I just wrestled emotionally. Yesterday, I told Judy, my stomach was like butterflies, not like the flu nausea, just like I was on a roller coaster ride and I just lost my stomach. And I can't explain that to you, but I know last night it cleared up and this morning it was gone. And I don't know what's going on, but I do know this, that my circumstances can change dramatically quickly, but my God does not. Now you, need, you need to take that home. You need to follow the way. And I, it's something I'm working through in my life still at age 61 is I'm writing in the walls of my life that my circumstances change. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what a week from now. I don't know what 10 years from now holds. But I know this, my God is constant, and he will be there. So, so this guy went to bed, and everything was cool. He wakes up, he gets his cup of coffee, and he hears the sound of horses. And as daylight comes, he realizes he is surrounded by a vast army. It went from really good to really bad, at least in a certain perspective. So what else can he do but go to Elijah and says, My master, what shall we do? Now, because he didn't have the perspective, because his eyes were not surrendered, he could not see any other out besides fighting their way out, surrendering, not to God, but to the enemy. It, he was totally overwhelmed because he could not see the vast forces that were available. And this is the part I just love. Master, what should we do? So he answered, Elijah answers and said, do not fear. Gosh, get this, nail this down in your heart. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But power, love, and a sound mind. When we are afraid, you can mark it in. There's a lot, you may not understand the source of your fear. You may not understand what's going on in your life as far as fear goes. But you can mark her down. When fear comes, and I'm not talking about reverential fear of God. I'm talking about that, that, that fear that gets in your guts. When that fear comes, you mark it down as an attack of the enemy. And Elijah counters that as a man of God and says, do not fear. Well, why? For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I am certain that it made no sense to that young man. I am certain the words of the prophet made no sense. All, and listen, watch, watch, watch. All he could see were circumstances that caused fear. All he could see was death. All he could see was hopelessness. All he could see was outnumbered. It's an amazing thing. Elijah knew the God factor. Listen to these scriptures. Let me give you several. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. Say that with me. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. 
Therefore, I will look and triumph on those who hate me. It is better, it is better, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. That's what I was trying to tell you this morning. We had an election coming up here in a couple of years. And I, and I, hope, the right, I hope the right guy gets in the White House. But I want to tell you, the fate of America does not rest in a man. The hope for America lies in Jesus Christ. So, so he, he shouts to us, he tells us, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in nobles. You don't trust in the elected officials, whoever they are, what party they are. Put your faith and put your trust in Almighty God. Because I promise you this, our God is sovereign, our God's in control. Even when it makes no sense whatsoever, he's in control. Finally, he says this. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them. Because the one who is in you, someone say amen. amen. The one who is in you is greater, is greater than the one in the world. Now, that is why, that is why Elijah could look this young man in the eye and say, you don't need to be afraid. Because who is for us is greater. See, and you know this, and it's cute, but God outnumbers everyone. You and God, you know, when you're surrendered in the will of God and under sovereign authority, you and God are greater. We are victorious, how? Through Christ. Our God is greater than any force. It's not even a close contest. It's not like, here's God and here's Satan right below. Uh-uh. He's not even in the right ball field. Kind of like the Cubs. Sometimes they show up, Ken, and sometimes they don't. He wore Cubs blue tonight. You know, I, I just, just do a comment. So I'm trying to tell you, we don't need to be afraid because the one who is for us is greater than, listen, than, listen, whoever is opposing us. If you're facing illness, job loss, whatever it is, one, you're God's sovereign, and two, your God is greater than whatever you're facing. Take it to the bank and mark it down. The problem is, and we forget this. I forget this as a pastor, and Dave, I think most, most pastors do sometimes. We, we call it easy preaching, hard living. It's awful easy to stand up on a stage with a microphone and, and give some truth like that and say, you know, that God is for us and he's greater than it all. But when you're in the trenches and you haven't seen your son in three weeks and he's just disappeared. When, when, when the boss, you're reading the paper that the, the mind's going to shut down and, and you don't have any idea where the next you know, income is going to come from. When you go to the doctor and he goes, I've really got some not good news for you tonight. When you go to the doctor or your husband goes to the doctor and he says, you've got three weeks to live. Those are hard times. And Elijah, as the man of God, understood and knew. But what he's got to do and what we've got to do and what pastors need to help do is help those who are struggling, not put them down, not condemn them, help them to see. And sometimes that's scripture. Sometimes it's loving. Sometimes it's a hug. So, let me tell you what it rarely is. Son, you need to just reach down and pull your bootstraps up. That rarely is helpful. That rarely is helpful. But what might be and what usually is helpful is love and the word of God. Amen. Love and the word of God. So, what does Elijah do? So Elijah did what? He prayed. 
Remember, don't forget last week the surrendered prayer life. The surrendered prayer life. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, God, we are dependent on you. And God, I'm going to be a grace experiencer and a grace extender. Remember those. So Elijah prayed, and here's what he said. Lord, I pray. Open his eyes that he can see. Open the eyes that he can see. And that's what I've, I've tried to say this morning, and that's what I'm trying to say tonight, that we need to surrender our eyes so we can see. We need to surrender our eyes so we can see the perspective that God has. I was going to mention this like about in one minute, but I'll do it now. You know, I, I wrote down four things. The inconspicuous things. You know, sometimes we, God does things in our lives that they're just so obvious we go, wow, God. But sometimes things are inconspicuous. In other words, they're easy to miss. I just can't wait, and I bet you feel the same way, not really to meet Jesus and all those things, but I'm just dying to see, I told you this not too long ago, the things that God did for me that I didn't even know. I mean, have you ever, like, I was trying to think, I was sitting on the front, front bench trying to think, a few thinking about, you know, I was cutting wood. I think I showed this way. I'm not sure. You know, I, I'm not a, I told Ron, they wouldn't let me use a hammer. I mean, they just, they don't. They just, you know, and anything with power beyond an electric razor, I'm out, you know. So, so we were making our pagoda thing. We were doing, working on our pagoda, is that right? Our green thing, our wood thing. And wood means saw. And so I have a, ta- can you go on a table saw? Isn't that incredible? So I had this table saw, and I was cutting wood. And, and one of the great fears I have is circular saws and table saws. Because, I mean, you can use your, lose your fingers like that. And I, and I just remember that I was cutting this, this thin strips of wood, and I was cutting, and I don't know how close I was, but I felt the air of the blade. And what happened was I was pushing, like I think I was pushing on this side, and I came across like that. And I felt that wind from that blade. And instantly, I knew I came close. And instantly, I said, God, thank you. I'm so grateful when God protects me when I'm foolish. That God protects me when I'm foolish. And on these inconspicuous things, I want to challenge you. Look for the things God does for you that are so inconspicuous. Don't assume circumstances. Don't assume it just happened that way. Don't assume accidents. Oh, well, wasn't that cool? A circumstance. Assume and believe that your God is working on your behalf. Um, Hidden things. Hidden. That's what we have happening here. Lord, open his eyes. I just, I believe with all my heart that this is, this is, it's Old Testament, but it could be New Testament. I believe there are things spiritually going on that we cannot believe. It would blow our minds if we could see it. I believe that, that God is constantly working in the spiritual world. There's warfare going on. Lord, help us see the hidden things. Help us see the modest things. The things that God does in your life and, and no one else is wow, but you think is pretty cool. And again, the very small, the minuscule things. Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And he did. And look what the Bible says. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. He saw what only Elijah could see a few moments ago. 
and it changed everything. Betty, it changed everything. And when we start believing that our awesome and powerful God is active in our lives, that he is sovereign, we begin to see. We begin to see. And circumstances change. No, no, no. Not circumstances. The effect of circumstance in our life changes because we start believing God. We start trusting God. And that doesn't mean everything's going to turn out perfect. It just simply means this. I trust my God. He is control. I believe him. My father's in control. I believe him. And I trust him. You know, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus was talking to the boys, because they had pulled their swords out, and they were going to take on the guys during the arrest. And, and Jesus said, no, 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 no. He said, don't you know something? That, I, that my father, if I asked him to, would send 12 legions of angels. At the beck and call, right then. I, I can just, okay, okay, okay. In my mind's eye, I know it's my mind's eye. But I can just see the forces of heaven waiting at the moment, the nod of the Father, if a rescue mission was necessary, never would be because of the cross. But there are 12,000 angels at the beck and call of Jesus Christ. That's the force and the power of the God we serve. How many angels, and don't you get hung up on angels, and Jesus is your Savior, not angels, but I just sometimes wish we could see the forces of heaven who work on our behalf. Isn't that cool to think? Isn't it awesome? I think it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And here's something the commentary said that I thought was very good. They were always there. They didn't just show up. They just saw them. The young man saw them. They were always there. And God is always there working on your behalf. So as you face tomorrow, whatever the circumstances may be, God's in control. I believe this. When you have to send your child off to school tomorrow, you have some grave concerns about that. Know that God goes with that child. They'll never take God out of school. Amen. They'll never take him out of school. God's there. God's there. Now, the thing to do is make sure you pour God into your child's life. So when they go to school, God will have a more active role in their decisions and circumstances. So that's part one that was really cool. Part two is this. So when the Syrians came down, and by the way, did you see that? Wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. You just told me, Dwayne, that the young man didn't see, he saw, and the hills were surrounded by fiery chariots. And the Syrians came down. Isn't that amazing? The Syrians still came down. Even though the army was there, the fiery army was there, the Syrians still came down. See, you want to know why? Say, say I, well, I'd like to know why. God had a greater purpose. There was a gra- I think there was a greater purpose than even the rescue. There's a greater purpose than God's angels attacking the Syrian army and claiming victory there. There's a greater purpose than Jesus coming to do miracles and touching lives that way, and that greater miracle is the cross. And there's a greater miracle here. There was something greater that God wanted to teach. So what did Elijah do? He prayed. He prayed. Look, what, what? So he, Elijah prayed to the Lord and said, <laughs> it's funny. He just prayed, Lord, open their eyes. Open this guy's eye. Lord, strike this people with blindness. How interesting. He's hung up on this eye thing. You know? Okay, Lord, open his eyes. Okay, Lord, strike them with blindness. And, and God did. He struck them with blindness according to the, to the word of Elijah. And this is almost comical. As I read it, kind of played out in your mind. Now, Elijah said to them, this is not the way. Nor is this the city. 
Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So as the Syrians come down, we, we hear Elijah going, Hey, guys, this is not where you want to be. I, this is not the man you want to seek. And listen, follow me. <laughs> I will take you to Samaria. You know how far that was? Ten miles. So we got this, what does the Bible say? This great army following Elijah the preacher. And he's taking them to Samaria, which is their enemy's capital. Isn't that crazy? Ten miles they followed. Elijah going, y'all doing good. Keep coming. You're doing good. Just keep watching. All right, put your hand on his shoulder there. Help lead him there. So he gets them down to, to Samaria. Verse 20. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elijah said what? Open their eyes. And that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And there they were inside Samaria. Whoops. So what do you think the, king, the, the Israel king's going to do? Kill him. Kill him. See, that's what kings do. So when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? You know, there, there's more than one way to skin a cat. You know, you draw more friends with sugar than you do salt, except for in grits. <laughs> All right? So, so what's going to happen? You shall not kill them, verse 22. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Now watch, watch, watch. Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. What? You know, Elijah, this is just crazy. You know, he blinds them, and then he leads them, then he opens their eyes. The king of Israel wants to kill their enemies, which seems the logical thing to do. And Elijah said, no, 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 feed them. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Does a scripture come to mind? How about Romans chapter 12? Listen to this, listen. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it's written, vengeance is mine, I will pay. Let me read that again, because somebody here needs that. Vengeance is mine, I will pay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, and this is why I wouldn't mind being someone's enemy. If they're going to give me food, hey, I'm all born. Therefore, if, any, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If we are not careful, evil will overcome us. If we decide to retaliate in, in anger and in bitterness, it will consume us. And Paul says, no, overcome evil with good. So, so Elijah, thousands of years earlier, says, now wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Give them food and give them a drink. And then send them back to the master. Look what happens. This is cool. Then he prepared a great feast. That's good. For them, and after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And what happened? So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. He could have got the king of Israel could have got instant short-term gratification. Now it didn't stop, by the way. Syria is always going to be the enemy of Israel, but at least for a reasonable group of time, they went back home and didn't raid anymore. I think part of this, again, is when we see the ways of God. They're not always 
logical, but they're always right. They're always right. So my question tonight is this. Are you willing to end this day tonight by believing that if God is for us, who can be against us? Are you willing to believe tonight that, yeah, it's logical to trust in chariots and in horses, but are you willing tonight to trust in the name of the Lord your God? Are you willing to believe that if God is for us, who can be against us? Are you willing to lay aside your trust in men and society and culture and honestly put your trust in God? Are you willing to do that to the extent that you'll forgive your enemies? Are you willing to do that to the extent you'll love those who have offended you or hurt you? Just like, by the way, Christ did. When we surrender our eyes and we begin seeing people and circumstances as God does, it is a total game changer. Benna, you were my illustration this morning. The one or the two? Benna's taken good care of me through the years. Um, she'll tell you I've got weird eyes. And um, one thing she did for me one day, y'all remember the days at this pulpit I would lose my glasses? You remember that? Anybody here for that? I would, I would, I've had reading glasses. And remember, Benna? And I'd go, where's my glasses? They're over there, preacher. And it kind of disrupted to the sermon. And the first thing Benna did for me was she bought one of those things around your neck. And I could, I could put them off and on like this. And then one day she said, you know, y'all try a mono contact. You know, one thing. You put one contact in. And this eye is good. It can see far away. And if I put a contact in, it's like wearing, it's like wearing a reading glass all the time. And, and my little brain, it, it, it works. And I can look down and see these letters and stuff because I have a contact in this eye. And, and Benna was wise enough and caring enough to recommend that. And it was a game changer for me. I mean, it really changed my life. I can actually see my watch. And you know what? I could see it. I, I couldn't read it. Do you all remember that? When you turn 40, you kind of go, do you all remember that? That's how it happens. But, but the physician cared enough and opened my eyes. And our physician, wants to care for us and open our eyes to see his greatness, to see people and circumstances as he does. Why don't you bow your heads right there if you will. So are you willing, head bowed and eyes closed, are you willing tonight to trust him? Are you willing enough to trust him enough, the ones who's hurt you and wounded you, and the way Christ has forgiven you, forgive them. Are you willing to believe that the one who is for you is greater than all those against you? Are you willing to believe God? I'd like to pray for us tonight and, and then we'll, we'll have a hymn. And I don't know if there's anything y'all need to do tonight with God. That's what we do here though, but... If, if there's a decision, if there's anything we can pray with you about. But I think probably, even while we're singing, won't you surrender your eyes tonight? Just surrender. God, may I see people as you see, as you see people. May I see circumstances in light of, of your eternity that you're working as sovereign God. Who I see tonight as you see. And God, thank you for that. 
And Father, this is just one of those times I know I need this in my life so bad. Sometimes I get so frightened. Sometimes, Father, when circumstances come, I, I have a tendency to look at them and not you. So this speaks to my heart and, and our hearts tonight. Father, as we leave this place, as we journey in our separate ways, I do pray, Father, you will guide and direct our steps, open our eyes that we might see people tomorrow when we are really offended by someone. Help us to see them as a soul that you died for. When we see someone on a street corner or someone walking down the road, our first response may be judgment. And would you just rebuke us and help us not to judge? Help us to see people as you see people. I'm so glad you love us tonight. We're really grateful for that. So as we sing, Father, and there's any decisions, anything we need to pray about, would you speak to our hearts? And Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand.